Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week, another episode. How are you? Oh, uh, good. It's been a long week. I mean, it's Thursday, so it's yeah. been a long week. I'm tired. How about you? Uh, you know, I got back from a trip. Um, my niece graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And so we got to drive out to Indianapolis and uh, 33 hours in the vehicle. Uh, I was a little bit sore, not going to lie. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I, I flew in from Memphis on Monday night because I took my daughter out there for the summer. Very cool. So, yeah, we got to rent a pretty fun little car and have a good time out there. A pretty fun little car. What What was it? Oh, well, it wasn't little. It was a Dodge Challenger with a Hemi. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good time. It, yeah. You know what? My husband asked if I wanted to buy one. I said, absolutely not. He said, why? I said, because I'd be in jail in a week. <laughs> I can't, you cannot help but go fast. Yeah. yeah. It's no fun to go slow. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, well, I'm glad you had a successful trip, though. Yeah. It was a, it was a lot of fun. It was great to see family. And uh, now it's getting back to the daily grind. So, um yeah, so let's dive right into this episode. Um, although before we do, uh, one of our listeners, um, Randall, I appreciated his comment. I was talking to him, uh, a couple weeks ago and he made the comment that, you know, from time to time I have to turn off the podcast because it can be very depressing <laughs> with Aww. some of the topics that we talk about. And then of course we did guns last week. So um, hopefully this one's going to be a little bit more uplifting. We've got everything from Loveland being the next boomtown to traffic traffic situation and accidents, everything that's going on with the I-25 corridor, uh, Avello cancellations. Yeah. So they were just getting started and now they're already uh, pulling back and, and discontinuing service to the Loveland-Fort Collins airport. Um We've got Rob Walton, son of Sam Walton, the uh, founder of Walmart, is, has a bid in for the Broncos. We got we're going to talk about birthday days, Johnstown days, or I guess it's the Johnstown Barbecue Festival. Yeah, yeah. and then our main story of this episode is actually going to be dealing with student debt. So yeah, buckle up, let's dive right in and uh, kick off the way with Loveland being the next boomtown. Yeah, so there was a repeat uh, a report that SnapFi, um, which is a San Jose-based mortgage company, looks like they may be affiliated with Zillow, though I can't find a lot on that. Um, but Snap SnapFi did say that um, Loveland is one of nine booming cities in North or in Colorado. So they anticipate that we will have a pretty heavy increase in population and housing. <laughs> oh God, please. Um, and, uh, can we make that after they finish I-25? Would that be possible? That'd you know, be hold super off, cool. hold off until 2024 before moving to Loveland. Well, and truth be told, I've heard a lot of people saying that they're moving out of state. And so I'm, I'm wondering if they're selling or if they were renting and the people they're renting from are now selling because, you know, it's too, honestly, I, I don't want to be a landlord. I don't know about you. <laughs> It seems like a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, I think if you do it right, it's not nearly as bad as you have heard as far as some of the horror stories, but there definitely are the horror stories out there. Well, let me read this great little excerpt from the article announcing Loveland because it's a, it's a really cute little write up. So, um, located 45 minutes from Denver, Denver International Airport and 35 minutes from Estes. I've Park. got to pause you. So at that yes. point in time, they obviously haven't clocked how long it takes to get from <laughs> Denver to Loveland, yeah. at least with the current traffic situation. Definitely not. 35 minutes from Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park, 15 minutes from Fort Collins, and 40 from Boulder. Loveland, Colorado is a gateway to many fun places in the larger Denver metro area, which actually is one of the things that I love about living in Loveland is that you can get to 
a bunch of different stuff. Um, and you know, it's a day trip or something. Um, we've had obviously a pretty big increase in traffic, but like you said, we've got a lot of projects going on that hopefully will mitigate some of that. I don't know. Yes. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about is just dealing with overall traffic. Even today alone, you were telling me on your way, uh, on your way home from work or on your way over here that there was yet another fatality at I-25 and 34 today. There was, yeah, it was just, um, south or no, just north. Yeah, no, I was right. Just south of 34 right there. Um, and they had shut down any traffic going on to north or southbound. Gosh, I really need to work on my directions today. I'm sorry, guys. Um, southbound I-25. And it was a fatality. They did get it cleaned up right around 4 o'clock. But, you know, that twenty-four I-25-34 intersection is pretty rough in general. Um, and I know that they were, they're closing it down overnight at some point, like, this weekend? That is this weekend. Yeah, yeah this starting, weekend. Starting on Friday, um, so the 3rd through the 6th, 34 will be shut down. And again, they're they're working on, um, they've been putting in the other bridge yep. and being able to switch everything over to the new bridge. But again, they've got to take out the old bridge as well. So they're shutting yeah. everything down the, the evenings, or I guess the night of... Uh, June 3rd through the 6th. Yeah. So just in a couple of days, yep. um, you know, it's, it's interesting because that's where we used to go learn how to get onto the highway because of the cloverleaf. <laughs> you remember? Yep. Yeah. Because of the cloverleaf and it was such a dangerous intersection and then they changed all that up. So it's a good thing that they're working on it. Yes. And so that's some of the stuff that, um, the I-25 corridor, again, we've spoken in depth on that in a couple of podcasts ago, but that's one of the things that they're working on. And once they have that intersection done, as far as the 34 I-25 interchange, I think a lot of the issues are going to go away. I actually would concur with that because we've really needed it for a while. And I, I think that that will help significantly. The flow of traffic is going to be the biggest deal out there and that, you know, it's just somewhere you can anticipate that there's going to be a lot of people pretty much all the time. Yeah. So I think so too. I agree. All right. So one of the things dealing with traffic and accidents as the warmer weather is starting to approach again, we're talking about this, but it wasn't what last, not last weekend, but the weekend before we were still getting snow, Um, but motorcyclists are out. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for all of the motorcycles uh, on the road. And one thing dealing with motorcycles is the International Motorcycle Show, IMS, that was supposed to be in Loveland. Mm-hmm. Um, that was going to be June 17th through the 19th. Uh, they have canceled, not only canceled Loveland, but they have canceled all events and they're regrouping for 2023. So if you were interested in going out to the IMS show <laughs> at the ranch... You got to make other plans now. Was it, was there a reason why it canceled or? Yeah, actually a lot of the manufacturers, um, canceled and they were starting to cancel because not only were they changing it up. So in years past, IMS has always been just kind of like an auto show, but for motorcycles, they wanted to switch it to more of an outside venue where you can do an awful lot of demos and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But because of the supply chain issues that we've been having, not only with automobiles, but also with motorcycles, the manufacturers don't have the motorcycles on the ground to be able to sell, let alone have an entire demo fleet to be able to go and travel all around the country at the IMS shows. Right, because you're not going to build your demo fleet if you're not selling actual ones to actual people. Correct. So at that point in time, IMS, after a couple of major manufacturers pulled out, they said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and cancel 
2022 and then regroup for 2023. So fingers crossed that it does come back to the ranch next year. But uh, I don't know. That's something I keep an eye on because I enjoy riding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, just to reiterate what you were saying earlier, of course, there are a lot of bikes out on the road right now. They're more fuel efficient, right? <laughs> and it's beautiful out most of the time. So yeah. And especially when AAA had came out today and said the new national average for a gallon of regular gasoline is at 471 a, uh, a gallon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, even in Memphis, I was paying 440 or something like that. It was ridiculous. It, I was closer to the airport, but still, yeah. yeah. But well, it, it was interesting on our trip as we drove across. So we drove, um, obviously in Colorado, but then also Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, uh, Illinois, and Indiana, and seeing the different gas prices in the different states. Oh yeah. Where the moment that we crossed over into uh, Illinois. It was, it went up 80, I think it went up 83 cents a gallon. Oh, geez. Um, I don't know that I paid that much attention to it. <laughs> Honestly, I filled up one time. So, and I, <laughs> I filled up in Memphis where I got the car. So I, cause I did drive across, um, Mississippi, Arkansas and Tennessee. So yeah, yeah. And that, they're all tight in that one little area anyway. So tri-state area or whatever, but oh well, yeah. I guess just, uh, well, and speaking of gas prices, this is kind of one of the major driving forces with a velo canceling. Yeah. That sounds like it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So a velo is the, they're the airline that was flying out of the Loveland Fort Collins municipal airport, and they were offering some really low rates. Some of the cool things that they were doing, which is a disappointment, um, is that they actually were offering a flight from Loveland to Denver. They were taking your bags there. You go through security there and you just get off the bus and go in and you're through security and you go to your flight. So my neighbor actually was looking at, do they're doing an international flight? And that's what they were doing because they said, it's actually cheaper for us to do that than it is to get say a shuttle and have to do the on and off and go through security in Denver. But they have canceled that because it sounds like they were offering pretty low fares. They were canceling flights all the time because they didn't have enough ticket holders, one. And two, um, the gas prices going up made it so that those great prices they were offering, they're not even able to afford the gas for the plane to take you to wherever you're going for that inexpensive flight. Yeah. And the two destinations <laughs> that they had, um, at the moment was to Las Vegas and then to Burbank. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe they were doing the shuttle or something from there and it wasn't actually a flight or what it was. I'd have to ask my neighbor, but they had booked tickets out there for that for in October. So they were <laughs> super disappointed. Well, I'm kind of disappointed too, because we were hoping that that would bring in some more tourism into Northern Colorado. I mean, just like that little article saying that we're this boom town. Okay. Now we have this huge event center coming out with the indoor water park. We have, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park and we're pretty close to Denver. Fort Collins is cool. You could even go up to Wyoming and having flights available in here would, would increase our tourism, which not everybody likes, but it certainly, uh, puts some money into the coffers. Oh, absolutely. So support small businesses. Cause yep. you know, I don't know about you, but when I travel, I, I seek out smaller businesses cause I don't want to go to a hard rock cafe. I want to go to mom and pops. Yeah, you want to find the the local shops to be able to get a little bit more of the culture of the area. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's actually, and I, I know you do that because like when you and your wife went to Austin, you found some really cool hole in the wall. I mean, like the roller derby, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, but it is disappointing. I was kind of hoping we'd get some more flights out. Yeah, so. but and hopefully something like this comes back in the future. We'll see. Again, everything's a little topsy turvy at the moment within the economy within. You name it, it just doesn't feel normal. 
Right. It, I mean, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> so uh, the Broncos are selling, right? Yes. And this has been something that's been kind of in the works for quite a while now. And even um, Matt Ishiba, who uh, owns UWM, uh, which is a mortgage company, they do just strictly broker. Yep. Okay. And he was even out last week, had an interview with them, but it looks like Rob Walton is kind of the most serious cont- uh, contender. So, and I don't know if they're wanting to sell it to one particular person or if they want to do it where they sell it to a conglomerate. Right. I, I'm not really sure, but what I do know, um, there, there's some talk that he's kind of the favorite and that they would prefer he be the one to, to buy it because right. he's got the money. Well, he's got the money, but also he knows how to run a multi billion dollar corporation. I mean, right. <laughs> Allegedly, but, uh, they are saying that, um, could go upwards of 5 billion and they're not sure if he'll want to be a contender if it gets that high. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all about whether, you know, you want to take on that risk and then, I mean, obviously you're going to absorb debt and all kinds of stuff when you buy that huge of a, a team, you know, the Broncos, sometimes they're good. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I don't really follow football, so I don't know. Um, I used to be, again, growing up here in Colorado, especially during the Elway years, I was a diehard Broncos fan. Oh, yeah. For many, many years. And would go to the games, go, went to a couple of playoff games, had a great time. And then with everything that kind of happened nationally with the NFL, I just, it soured, it yeah. soured me. Yeah. I'll- and so I haven't. You know, I'll catch a couple of games or watch a couple of games here and there, but I'm not as devoted as I used to be. Yeah, I never was really a Broncos fan. It just, I wasn't into football. I've always been into baseball or hockey. It's, you know, so. Which, speaking of hockey, (laughs) the abs, I am hoping. They're on fire, man. It's awesome. So I think that they're even playing tonight, but they uh, won their first game six to, what was that, six to three? Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know there was an eight to or a six to or eight. six to yeah, eight, six eight to, to six. Eight yeah. to six. Yeah, it was a pretty high scoring. I mean, that's a really high scoring <laughs> hockey match. Six to eight or eight to six. Like that's crazy high. Yeah, you get like zero to one. Well, and then we <laughs> we've got the Eagles where they won the one playoff game with ten to one. So that was awesome. It's been yeah. it's been fantastic for hockey. But getting back to the Broncos, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how much it sells for. Because again, they're talking that this is going to be a record breaker as far as the most expensive sale of a professional team. Yeah. Which again, if it gets up into the five billion dollar range. I don't know enough about front office with professional teams to to know if that's actually a good deal, if that's not a good deal with how many different entities are involved, how you're – all of that stuff. So it's fascinating just seeing everything that's going into this type of a sale. Right, and I I would would concur with that. I have no idea. (laughs) But it did see – it was interesting to me that he was kind of in the – a contender in that race, if you will. So, yeah, all right. And speaking of $5 billion, so let's dive into kind of the main story of this episode, is is something that you and I have heard about an awful lot. We dove into it a couple months ago, just briefly. I think we had a quick five-minute conversation on it. But I wanted to dive in deeper, dealing with student loan debt. And really the reason behind this is because you have yesterday that $5.8 billion uh, were, was forgiven. Well, 
there's a lot more that goes into that. Yeah. And what does that even mean? It's forgiven. So you're not going to pay your student loan back, but who absorbs that amount? In this case, uh, taxpayers. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. $5.8 billion is a lot of money. It is. And so the reason why the uh, Biden administration really did this one, it was dealing with Corinthian College. So Corinthian colleges. So, and that was the largest for-profit entity of colleges. Part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this as well is because one of the uh, premier colleges that they held was Wyotech. And um, Everest. It was Wyotech and Everest. So uh, Wyotech, Everest, Everest University Online, Everest College Phoenix, and Held, H-E-A-L-D, Held College. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. So, well, and Wyotech, of course, is um, was is it still there or is it? So the only Wyotech Wyo that is still operating is actually the one in Laramie. Yep. yep. And the only reason why is because that one sold. Oh, uh, that makes sense. I actually the, knew a lot of guys that went there. So that was the only entity that sold. But let's dive into actual student loan debt and why this happened because it's it basically cleared the student loan debt of 580,000 students that went to Corinthian Colleges. Corinthian Colleges filed for bankruptcy back in 2015. And so all 24 entities filed for bank- bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and wiped the debt. This is the one issue when, when we start talking about student loan debts that – we have to have the conversation on first and foremost is student loan debt, especially in particular federal student loan debt is the only debt that you cannot qualify for bankruptcy. Correct. If you file for bankruptcy, you cannot include student loan debt, which that in and of itself, it'll be interesting. Um, I know there was, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up. There was an entity that was trying to bring something in front of the Supreme court because in in the Constitution, it does talk about bankruptcy, and so they believe that student uh, student loan debt is being that you cannot file bankruptcy on it makes it unconstitutional. Interesting. I guess so. You can't file bankruptcy on student loan debt. Not on federal student loan debt. And since they're going to cancel that amount, huh? So that's, again, kind of the main reasoning behind this was to be able to say, hey, so the college that essentially profited off of all of these student loans, and then they were able to file for bankruptcy, but none of the students that paid them and went into debt in order to get their degrees from them are able to file bankruptcy to get out of that debt. Right. Well, and I tend to believe, and in, in, you don't have to agree with me on this, but a lot of these higher cost colleges that are like Everest College or Phoenix, um, you see these these pop-up schools online and they get, they don't even have to be accredited half the time. I mean, that's one of the reasons I picked the school I went to was because it was highly accredited. And you have to be very careful about which ones you go to because you may walk out of there with a diploma, but is it a diploma that means anything? Perfect example that comes right to mind is IBMC with their nursing program, where it's not an accredited nursing program. So you spend all of the time and effort to be able to do that. And instead of being able to be an RN, you end up still being a CNA. Well, and they're charging you a small fortune to do it. Yeah. So I, I have, I take real issue with that, first of all. And we've talked about how student loans are incredibly predatory. 
as an 18-year-old kid, when they say, well, you have to take out $20,000 in school loans for your first two, first year of school. But what you want to do is you want to add on so that you can pay for your housing and your food and your books, okay? Now you're starting to really rack up those bills. And, and how daunting is that to come out of college at 22 years old and have, I don't know, $100,000 in student loans? Yeah. That's not even reasonable, yeah. even at a state university. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's not even reasonable. But then you go to one of these, and I, I hesitate, but I'm going to say it, these diploma mills. And I, I say that because I've looked at, I've been looking into programs for my master's degree for a couple years. I held off with COVID and all that because I figured it was the wrong time to be going to school and spending that kind of money. Um, but the programs I'm looking at are 18 months for $70,000. Yeah. Now, I contend that these schools know that you're paying them a very large amount of money. And when I was in my program, I went to a great school. I, I, w- I was in a great program, but there were people that were being passed with straight A's. I, I do not feel like we're passing. <laughs> Honestly, it's, I don't feel like they were passing. Yeah, it's the old adage that C's get degrees. Well, and if you're if you're paying that kind of money, they're going to make sure you graduate. Yeah. Because if you don't graduate, you're not going to be able to pay back your student loans. Yeah, and that's something that we're going to dive into. I I really want to just kind of, yes, we're already into this conversation, but I want to kind of pause for a moment and just get your take on what do you believe about student loans? Student loans in general or forgiving them? Just student loans in general. Well, what is your, your thought process on student loans? And then I've got a follow-up question after that. Okay. So with the first thing, and this is a little off, off target, but I know what you're asking me. So I will, I will go into that. But the, the first thing that I think is that we pushed and pushed and pushed for a very long time as a society that you were not going to be a functional adult or be able to pay your bills if you did not go directly to college after high school. And so kids that maybe didn't even, don't even belong in college. Okay. There is nothing wrong with going directly into the workforce. There is nothing wrong with getting a trade. There is nothing wrong with taking a year off so that you can afford to go to college if you're college bound, but they made it. And I know, you know, this, it it was a cultural thing where if you didn't go to college, you were a loser. Do you know when that started? Well, I thought it was in like the eighties and nineties. It was in the late nineties. Late nineties and really took off in the, in the early two thousands. Okay. And so at that point in time, what was happening within society at that point? In the, in the late nineties? Late nineties, early two thousands. Oh gosh. Um, well, tech boom for sure. Well, more importantly, you had the tech bubble burst. Right. You had the burst that happened and billions were wiped out of the market. Right. And so all of a sudden you have all of these higher education. And you're able to create an economy based off of people going to school. Oh, fair. And all of a sudden, if we're able to make it very, very easy, where all you have to do is sign on the dotted line, and now you've got the money to go ahead and chase your dreams, go to the four-year college of your desire, and be able to have this wonderful career as soon as you pay us $150,000, $200,000 that you're now in debt for, that also, that was when... They made it so you cannot file bankruptcy on it. Interesting. So they made a whole. They made an economy. An economy out of it. I mean, really, they, they did. If you they think made about an it. economy. You look at it. It's one point seven trillion dollars is the national is the national student loan debt. 
$1.7 trillion. They made an economy out of student loans. Well, and then they said to us as kids, like, okay, I want you to take all these aptitude tests and I want you to see what you're going to be good at. And, and maybe you're not that smart, but I bet you could go get this four-year degree that's going to give you an amazing job and you're going to make all this money. So don't worry about if you get this huge loan because they'll probably pay a lot of it off when you hire on with them. Well, that definitely isn't the case for sure. Yeah. Um, and then it, we said to these kids basically like, if you're going to make it, you have to go to college. So there were people that went to college that had no business going to college. As an 18-year-old kid, picking your career is an incredibly stressful thing. And I, I mean, I started out at the University of Wyoming up in Laramie my first year, and I thought I was going to school to be a pharmacist. I wanted to be a pharmacist. I worked in a pharmacy. I knew things. I, you know, I was a pharmacy tech. I secured a job up there as a tech. Um, and when I got there, I looked at this list of classes and I thought to myself, why did I sign up for this? I hate all of these subjects. I don't want to do chemistry. I mean, <laughs> I do now, of course, but, um, I went my first year and then made the decision not to go back because I couldn't afford it. And yeah. I, you know, my parents helped out with my first year and I, I think I had, all total $15,000 in loans from my first year of school. And if I had continued through that, I would be, I would probably have $150,000 in debt if I decided to be a pharmacist. Granted, you know, of course that's a higher paying job, but that's not, it's not reasonable. Yeah. So let's go back to actually student loans and what you think of them. What's kind of that Overending, anybody brings up the topic or you're having the conversation with your kids about student loans. How does that conversation go? Well, um, truth be told, I think that they are very predatory. I think that they get a lot of, away with a lot. And I, you know, I know people that take out these massive student loans and they know they're never going to pay them back or they say, I'm not ever going to pay these back. I'm just going to take out whatever I want to. I know people that have gone to Disney World with their family on their student loans. Now this, this, this specific individual has $70,000 in student debt from a bachelor's degree in nursing. That's ridiculous. Okay. That is ridiculous. Then the question is, is who is taking that amount of money from you to give you a bachelor's degree in a career that it doesn't amount to any more money? It doesn't amount to the only, what it does is it allows you to be a supervisor so you can go into the higher paying position, but that higher paying position is usually about a dollar an hour, by the way, extra over your floor nurses, just for your knowledge. Um, but I also think that it was, Hey, we're going to give you all this money and you don't have to pay it until you're out of school. So it, that'll give you a chance to get a good paying job. Well, if you have a teacher that pays $80,000 to go to school, they're coming out of school and they have $80,000 in debt, and we don't pay our teachers anything. Nobody is going to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to fight you on that because we actually do pay our teachers. Now, there are certain areas of, of the nation that doesn't pay their teachers very well. Agreed. But there are an awful lot, and I knew this when um, I was in car sales and in the mortgage business mm -hmm. and being able to look at it, and it was shocking to me. All the time, and I'm, I know I'm going off on a tangent real it's quick. Okay. How many times that I had a teacher, and the ones, the teachers that always frustrated me is especially, I'm going to get some backlash on this, the professors of CSU right that were making 130 to $140,000 a year, and they were the ones that would complain the most about how teachers don't make 
enough. Right. I'm talking about your second grade teacher at a public school. Correct. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not talking about that. your ten, tenured professors, all of that. But I also think that if you, and you've talked about your plan before about how to reduce these student debts and how to make it much more reasonable. I think it's irresponsible of colleges to charge that much money for a higher education that the, the reason they're charging that much money is because they have the tenured professors that they're not ever going to fire. They're always going to make that amount of money. You know what I'm saying? And, and they're paying them more and more and more to work for them because how much of the history do you want? Uh, give me all of it. Do it. Do <laughs> I, I'm, it. I'm just curious. And yeah. I think this is valid information that a lot of people don't know is what happened, why was it that you could work a part-time job back in the 60s and 70s, be able to go to a four-year college and afford it and walk out of college, graduate without any student loan debt? Correct. What happened? Why is it the colleges today are 750% higher in cost than they were just 40 or 50 years ago? A lot of it actually boils down to the Reagan administration. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Reagan. And part of the reason for that was under the Reagan administration was when they separated the money going to the state and then the state sending the money to the schools. So Pell Grants, anything along those Mm -hmm. lines, where it just went directly and fed into the state-funded schools. Yeah. All of a sudden, we had the rise of for-profit schools. And with their lobbyists, they wanted to be able to get in on some of that action. They wanted to be able to get some of those federal funds. So what what changed, the big thing that changed is instead of the money going to the school, the money went to the individual, where each individual was able to apply for it. They were able to get the grants or they were able to get whatever um, federal and state funds and be able to choose the college that they wanted to go to. That was kind of the the first tick that happened as far as where we're at now. Right. Then you had George H.W. Bush. With George H.W. Bush, he saw this problem starting to happen, and his administration was working towards being able to put certain regulations on for-profit schools, meaning that they had to be certified, they had to be accredited, they had to meet certain standards in order to be able to receive federal funds. Right, which is reasonable. Clinton administration came in, reverse course on that. George W. Bush came in, reverse course even more. Under the Obama administration, the Obama administration actually fought very diligently to try and make sure that there were a certain criteria that for-profit schools had to meet. It was similar, not quite as stringent as George H.W. Bush as far as the overall legislation that they were pushing, um, but that's something that w- they were working towards. And then again, Donald Trump reversed course on that. And now it's up in the air. Right. We have no idea really what's going to happen. I mean, we're seeing some debt cancellation, but it's interesting because everybody that's rejoicing right now and saying they're going to cancel my debt because I went to this school. I mean, I think that's actually a pretty good move. I will say that. Um, Of course, we're going to eat the cost of it. However, I do think that those are predatory colleges. They, you don't have to have a certain GPA. You don't have to meet criteria. You have to have a check. Agreed. That doesn't mean that you're qualified to be in that area, but are you going to be passed? Like our kids were in COVID where they showed up. And I, that's alarming to me because if you have, and I don't know all the, I know Everest was some like, you know, MA and certain programs that they would kind of get people ready for the workforce that normally they would have probably done some sort of internship and learned that over a couple of years. Um, 
not all of those, because I think there were probably some good programs. I know that there was vehicle repair, all of those things, but it's alarming to me. And I like this particular piece of it because I do think that they are kind of looking at the people that are the most vulnerable. Because if you go into school and you get a, a $50,000 degree for to be a medical assistant, you're not making anything near being able to pay that payment. Because, you know, that yeah. could be $800, $900 a month. That's a house payment. I mean, not anymore, but <laughs> – or okay, a car payment, right? Yeah. So and then let's dive into actual student loans and why we keep on saying predatory. Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> a lot of people aren't familiar with this. And I've had many a conversation where a lot of people look at it and they're like, hey, you signed on the dotted line. If you sign on the dotted line, you took it out, you need to pay it back. You borrowed the money, you need to pay it back. That is the the response that I hear more often than not. <clears throat> Pardon me. The frustration that I have with that is it's like a Ponzi scheme and telling the victims of a Ponzi scheme that because you were a victim of this Ponzi scheme, it doesn't matter. You knew what you were going into and thus you need to be responsible for it. Student loan debt in the United States is a Ponzi scheme. It truly has become that where you have these higher, uh, these secondary education, these higher education entities. Right that are making bank off of these predatory loans. Now let's dive into why it's predatory. I'm a mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. I deal with numbers every single day of my life. I deal with loans every single day of my life. If I were to give somebody a student loan aspect, as far as everything looks very, very similar to a student loan as a mortgage, I would be in jail. Well, I was actually going to point that out too, that, you know, we talked about predatory loans as a country, how the mortgage business is putting people in these houses way over what they really could afford because they were able to move these numbers around and put them into a house where they could pay or they would be struggling to pay a $2,500 a month mortgage. And they probably shouldn't have even qualified for that at that point. And, and look what happened to the mortgage business as a result of that. I, I mean, I think that's exactly what we've done with School loans. It's actually worse. Oh, I concur. And part of the reason for that is dealing with negative amortization. So when you, again, you brought up the topic of coming out of school, making 50 grand a year, our teachers come out of school, make, you know, depending on the area, about 43,000 to $57,000 a year, their first couple of years teaching. At that point in time, when you have a hundred, $150,000 of student loan debt in order to be in that position, if you went off of the normal repayment period, so whether it's a 30 year amortization, anything along those lines from a mortgage industry, we're looking at either a full percent is what it counts against you. So a hundred, a hundred to $150,000 worth of student loan debt, you'd be looking at a thousand to $1,500 a month. Even if we go off of a half a percent of outstanding balance, mm-hmm. well, at that point in time, you're still looking at 500 to $750 a month. Again, with raising gas prices, raising grocery prices, raising house yeah. rentals, mortgages, all of that combined, it makes it very, very difficult. So what they say is, hey, you can do an income-based repayment, an IBR. Mm-hmm. What that does is they think, hey, great, this is fantastic. Okay, I'm on this $100,000 worth of debt. I only have to make a $97 a month payment. Sure, forever. Well, the problem is, is that if your actual payment 
is a thousand dollars, then nine hundred and three dollars is getting rolled over onto your balance every single month. Yep. So and so your balance increases every single month. So even though you're making the payment, you're making the payment on time every single month, your balance is increasing and you're never going to actually be able to pay that off. Can I ask a question yeah, that in. might be obvious? Is that accruing interest? <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. So then it gets worse and worse and worse and it snowballs. So unless you're making triple payments on that, you're never going to catch up. And it's not even feasible when you go into a job that you're making $47,000 a year. Cause that's, I mean, look, that sounds like a lot of money, but it's not, it's mm -hmm. not, and I know no. it, not to us. It doesn't because you think about, I mean, $47,000 is not a livable wage. Not if you have kids. Not if you have a house, not if you have cars, not if you have, and you live in an area where inflation, you know, the entire planet, that inflation is occurring. Well, and at $47,000 a year, you're paying 15% uh, overall tax on that. You look at just basic rent is going to be somewhere in between $1,200 and $2,200 a month. Right. And then we talk about this even more now here, even locally. As far as the overall increase in fuel costs, you're going to pay an additional two to $2,500 a year now in fuel costs because prices of gas have doubled. You're going to pay more for groceries. You're going to pay for more, uh, more for everything because yeah. of the overall inflation. But getting back to the overall student loans, that's where the predatory side comes in. Yeah. So not only are you dealing with all of that, and if you're finally at your wits end and you hit the bankruptcy button, which is a protected constitutionally protected entity yes. to be able to file bankruptcy, you cannot get out, get out of or get rid of that student loan debt. Right. And you know, what's really sad too, is that there are people that attended college and they racked up a bunch of student debt and realized, I don't want to work in this field or I'm not made for college or, you know, they got, you know, they had a family and they realized that it was not, they needed to go directly into the workforce because college was not going to be the best option for them. You know, so they, now they have all this student debt that they don't have a degree from and they still have to pay that back despite the fact that they say signed up for a college that wasn't going to pay them very much in the, in the beginning for a career. Right. And they paid a small fortune for something that didn't amount to a hill of beans. Um, and myself is a perfect example. One of my kind of hobbies that I enjoy doing is graphic design. I enjoy doing logos. I enjoy doing a bunch of that stuff. And so I went to school for it. You know, it was while I was working in the car business and I was able to do it at night. When I signed up for school, when I signed up for school, the average starting salary after I graduated was about $57,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Not a bad salary starting off right That's out of college startup. Yeah. with a bachelor's degree. A year and a half into it, I was doing a three-year program, a year and a half into it, the average, because of everything that had happened within the industry where, you know, we saw the exact same thing happen to our medical industry after Obamacare, mm -hmm. where a lot of the independents all of a sudden sold and became part of the larger conglomerates. Yep. Exact same thing happened in marketing and, and graphic design, where a lot of the independent shops sold off to these larger conglomerates. And so the average starting wage of a graphic designer went from $57,000, $56,000, a year down to $27,500 a year. Yeah, and why on earth would you continue to pay for a school that you're going to walk out and make even less than you were making at the time and be saddled with a massive amount of debt? Correct. 
That's huge. Correct. So, and that's what a lot of people end up pausing their higher education because they look at it and the numbers don't make sense anymore to be able to continue. So where do we go from here is the big question that I get asked an awful lot. So we're going to take this in two parts. Okay. Dealing with the administration, with what they're doing. So they, again, yesterday on Wednesday, on June 1st, they forgave or essentially wiped out $5.8 billion worth of student loan debt. And that was for the 580,000 people, students, that went to um, (laughs) – The name of uh, (laughs) – Everest Colleges, um, Wyotech. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it fell right out of my head. Oh, man. Uh, Corinthian Colleges. Corinthian Colleges. (laughs) Sorry about that. So the Corinthian Colleges. So that 580,000 students are now debt-free on the student loan debt. What else they are planning, so they have $25 billion set aside, but they are trying to be able to wipe out $10,000 of student loan debt for anyone making under $150,000 a year is the next big push. Okay. So I'll pause here and get your opinion on should they do that? Do you think it's appropriate? Kind of what's, what's your take on this one? All right. So you kind of mentioned earlier everybody's argument is, well, you signed on the dotted line. Um, I tend to disagree in the sense that I feel like, why do we have to be so sour about that? Okay. So you worked, you went to school, you paid your loans off. That probably means you had a good enough job and a good enough income coming out of there, or you had a plan to be able to pay those off. A lot of people that I hear saying, well, you know, I was able to pay my student loans. I was able to pay my college. And I hear from them that basically their parents helped them through the entire thing. So I don't know about you, but my parents didn't help me with anything but the first year of college. And then I, I think they paid off like $4,000 of my loan and I paid the remainder of it myself. And it took me a long time. And I, I did, I worked very, very hard to absolutely make huge payments to pay that off very quickly. So I think being angry at the people who are getting debt forgiveness is completely inappropriate. You know what? If they do good for them, you know what? Then maybe they can make a better life for them and their families. I do think it'll be a boost in the economy in the sense that those people that are paying $900 a month for student loans can now put that towards other things. Maybe they can afford to buy a house. Maybe they can afford to send their kid to college. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not terribly opposed to it. Now, there are obviously reasons, you know, it's going to go into the economy, but we just sent $40 billion to Ukraine. So we're paying for this stuff anyway. You know what I mean? It's all in the coffers and they're going to use it however they want to. And I suppose if they use that to make it a little easier on other people, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to be mad at you for that. That's awesome. Good on you. Go do something good with it. Maybe go into a career or get a different degree in something that's totally going to make you money or that's going to you know help you support your family. I have zero irritation about that. Now, I do understand that it comes with, obviously, some pretty heavy financial burden for the country. But like I said, we spend quite a bit of money on quite a bit of other things. $5.8 billion? Eh. I mean, what is that anyway? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's It's so foreign to me to even consider yeah. a billion dollars. How many zeros is in a billion anyway? Nine. Nine. That's insane to me. <laughs> I can't even process that. So I take it a little bit differently. Um, and the fact that I don't think that it should just be a $10,000 payment. Right. Because that is not solving the problem. And the reason why I state this, so since 
um, the pandemic began, they put a moratorium on student loan debt, all federal student loan debt. Okay. And so they made it all interest-free. Yes. And they paused all payments. Yes. So, and that was extended. So, and it's looking like that will be extended again. So right now it's through July. More than likely, I don't see how it doesn't get extended until at least after the election. Again, yeah. dealing with politics and all of that stuff, it's going to be extended again. And I imagine it'll be extended through December of this year. Yeah. So you have all of that going on, but just being able to forgive $10,000 of student loan debt does not cure the problem. All that you're doing is great. You cut that out. Now, if you're on an income-based repayment, depending on what your income-based repayment is and how much is, is being pushed over, within a year, you can be back up to the same balance yeah. that you're at right now before that money is spent. I was just going to say that it's only $10,000 per person. So, So what I would love to see and the thing that would actually help is bring everyone's balance back to what they originally took out. So anybody who is on income-based repayment, and again, this is where it gets more on the technical side to be able to work to work on our servicers um, to be able to make this happen. But if they would bring everyone back to the original loan amount and then do 5000 beyond that, then at that point in time, that's actually helping. But more importantly, they need to pass the legislation that you're no longer allowed to have negative amortization loans. Mm -hmm. And so if you are doing an income-based repayment or some a, a repayment plan like that, then at that point in time, they aren't allowed to carry over that, that negative amortization. They aren't able to carry over that remaining payment and continue to build that balance. Right. Well, and I think the idea that pe when people say like, well, you know, when I was, when I was in college 40 years ago, I was able to work a summer job and pay for all of my schooling. And I walked out without any student loans or student debt. Well, yes, because it was a little bit different time. School colleges did not cost this amount. It, you know, it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, college yeah. prices are astronomical. I was talking to a, an older friend of mine, um, older in age. And he was telling me how his last semester of college, all of his all of his credits, books, everything was fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and My it's like fourteen fourteen hundred dollars doesn't even get you a credit. Yeah. So CSU out of state tuition at CSU is thirty four thousand dollars a year. That's not including room and board. That's not including anything else. $34,000 for a state school. I mean, my last semester of college, my books for very low level basic classes, because I had to go back and fill in some holes. I needed a speech class and things like that. My last semester, didn't my help much. books were, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so mean. Um, my last semester just to pay for books was $1,400. Yeah. Books. Yeah. And trust me, they were an inch thick. And I was paying 300 bucks for a book on ethics or a book on, you know, a Spanish book with a, a CD that I put into the car and listened to on the way to work. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, and I don't, I'm sure you know this, but the, the, the book, it, a chemistry book will cost you $400 Yeah. and you can't buy it from somebody in the class the year before because they changed a paragraph. 
Yep. You know, or the, the person that the professor of the class writes, writes the book. So of course they're going to use their book in their class and you're going to pay 75 bucks for, I'm not kidding. Here's a very good example, a 150 page paperback book on the history of Wyoming that included a president that drove through the corner of the state that was written, written by the professor of my Wyoming history class. Yeah, and this is where you look at overall the predatory aspect of higher education. So not only did an awful lot of, of higher education institutions, not only did they receive funds out of the CARES Act, mm-hmm. out of all the stimulus, Harvard, for instance, got millions of dollars. And Harvard has $50 billion in their war chest. Fifty billion with a B. So you look at some of the stuff that's happening where they continue to raise the rates on students on on each class. You look at all of this stuff that is going on and how do we fix it? The big thing that needs to happen is the colleges, every single higher institution, higher edu- higher education institution, try saying that three times fast needs to be held responsible for the loans that they take out. So meaning that instead of being able to have however many different degrees with underwater basket weaving and everything else in it is you offer degrees that you understand that if this student is not paying them back full, full payment, not an income based repayment, not anything of that sort. If they cannot afford to make these payments, then the school is responsible for these debts. Right, and stop making it mandatory to take classes that have nothing to do with the degree. <laughs> I had to take a bowling class. I think I paid $1,100 for a bowling class because you had to have a phys ed one, so I took bowling. Um, I mean, I think I took a Zumba class too because you had to have one every year, so it was part of that. And so you get all these fluff things on the bottom yeah. of your degrees that don't mean anything. They have nothing to do with being a nurse. Well, and how many of these degrees are a pyramid scheme? Right. And the one I go back to was the Reddit thread that it was a, it was the author of the Reddit thread who was talking about how he went to school in particular, wanted to be an archaeologist, but was focused in on Egypt and in particular on the pyramids and was studying and studying. Well, after his bachelor's, he couldn't get a job. So he went back for his master's, mm-hmm. couldn't get a job. So he went back to his doctorate. Mm-hmm. Well, after he got his doctorate, he was able to get a professor job at another school teaching everything that he had learned, literally creating a pyramid scheme. Absolutely. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) And so that's some of the stuff that's also occurring within our higher education institutions that they are – these fields of study – are not beneficial to society as a whole. And so that is one of the things that if anybody's going to be receiving federal, uh, federal loans for students to come to your higher education institution to be able to study something, you need to be on the hook for those loans as well. It's a joint partnership. So at that point in time, you're going to look at colleges and colleges are going to look at their, their candidates and say, okay, you're going into engineering. Okay, we will back you and essentially make the colleges co-sign on every single loan. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time, if all of a sudden the student, if they fail out, then that's on them. If they if they are successful and they graduate but can't find a job in their field of study, 
then at that point in time, it, those student loans are tied to the school and the school now becomes responsible for them. Until we do something like that and until we change the legislation on student loans and keep them from being the predatory entities that they are today, this is going to be a problem that we are just kicking the can down the road and our grandchildren are going to be dealing with. No, I would I, I totally agree. One other thing that I would like to point out to two pieces to this. The first thing is, is that when you have these schools that are like, you know, predatory schools, as far as I mean, Everest, and they say, well, you know what, we're going to get you job placement. What well, those job placements are, here's your $8 an hour receptionist job. Yeah. Okay. That is not even a reasonable job placement. They need to be held accountable for that. If you earn a degree and you have now, you don't have any experience, but you're coming out of a good enough school, companies will hire you because they know you're going to, you know what you're going to do. You know what you're doing and they can trust that your education was such that they want to hire you at a reasonable livable wage. The other piece to that though, is that, you know, if you have companies that are trying to hire somebody at $12 an hour, but you have to have three years of experience and a bachelor's degree. We need to look at those standards and ask whether or not that's even a reasonable thing because you can't, you can't say, Hey, you've got this degree, this crazy it degree. I have a friend of mine that has a master's in it and he started at a fantastic job right out of school. He was very lucky because he came from a pretty prestigious college. They knew that that program was really good and they basically had him hired before he even graduated. Right. But if you know that, okay, some colleges, I can tell you from the, the medical field, I've been told by, um, higher level advanced practitioners don't go to this school. Like why? I think it's a pretty good school. It's, it, you know, it looks like they're highly accredited. Apparently their program's phenomenal and they will flat out say, it looks like that. And you come out and you don't know a darn thing. Mm. You're not ready to go into the workforce. So if I have to have a four-year degree to go into a program and have to have all of this experience and you're going to pay me $15 an hour, we got to talk. And that's one of the reasons why I appreciate Elon Musk. And a lot of CEOs are looking at Elon Musk because he's one of the, the first major CEOs that have said you don't have to have a college degree to work for Tesla, to work for SpaceX, to right. work for the boring company, any of his companies. It's like, no, we want to interview you. We want to see your life experience. We want to understand where you're coming from. Now there are certain positions. I mean, you aren't going to be hired on at SpaceX and, and all of a sudden manufacturing or creating a, a rocket without a college degree or without right. at least the understanding but he's the first one to say, no, I found some of my best workers because they applied with me because we didn't require a master's degree in a particular program. Right. I mean, you know, there are businesses that say, oh, we only, even, even medical businesses that say we will only hire bachelor's prepared nurses. I do take pretty big issue with that just because I started out as an associate degree nurse. My mom was an LPN and got her associate's degree and she was going to go back to school, but kind of looked at, I'm retiring in like eight years and it doesn't, I'm making great money. So why would I go back and get that bachelor's degree? I can't work for that company, but the company that I work for knows that my experience is bigger than a piece of paper, right? And if you, if you really look at it, there are some very industrious, intelligent people that don't have college degrees, Bill Gates. Right. Yeah. He's like number one. I think he's gotten plenty of, uh, you know, honorable ones. Um, 
but there are some very successful, very intelligent people that did not have to go to college for that. And that brings actually, that goes back to my original point about not everybody is cut out to go to a four year degree program and not everybody has the ability to do that. You know, if you don't come from a strong family that's going to support you to do that, cause you have to have support to go through these programs. When I was in my nursing program, they flat out told me, look, you can't work through this program. There's no way. If I had worked through that program, I would have been a crazy person. <laughs> I mean, you know, 12 hour clinical days then I had to go study for tests then I had to go to school the next day and then go to clinicals afterwards. I mean, it's a lot of work right? yeah. and you want the people that are taking care of you, your doctors, your nurses, all of those people. You want the people that are selling you a car. You want them to know their business well enough that they can take care of you as a client and, and make sure that you're secure in that, right? I don't think it amounts to a degree. And I, I will tell you, this is just my personal opinion and I'll, it's a digression, but I have met a lot of associate degree nurses that then go on and get their bachelor's because they want to go into management. And those are some of the toughest nurses I've ever met in my life because they had to work really hard to get their degree. You know, community colleges are amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's where we dive into where does this affect us locally? Right. There are an awful lot of colleges in Northern Colorado. Yes, sure. So you have UNC, you've got CSU, you've got the community colleges such as Front Range and Ames. Right down the road, you have CU. You have an awful lot of colleges here locally within Northern Colorado. And so this is the other side of this is some of the changes that need to happen, especially in regards to student loans and moving forward with higher education. It's going to affect these colleges. CSU is a massive employer within Fort mm -hmm. Collins, within Northern Colorado in general. UNC, massive employer. And so what happens if all of a sudden these schools are now required to sign on board and to essentially co-sign for any loans that are given to their students? Well, you have to make some budget decisions, don't you? Absolutely. And all of a sudden, you know, nice, shiny new football stadiums and stuff don't seem to make as much sense. Yeah. Trim the fat. We're not, we're not, I mean, I, I understand how football is a huge part of, you know, college experience, all of those things. I, I get that. And I'm not saying cancel those programs, but you know, one of the things, and I'll just say this and it's the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. Uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm the transplant Jen. Um, okay. Here's the thing. You get people that go into sports programs and they have really good grades and they work really, really hard, but it's with the understanding that they have a full ride scholarship and they perform in those sports and they continue to be on the team. Correct. And you know, I mean, I could probably list a thousand stories of people who are being passed because they're the star football player. Yeah. So you're telling me that that college is now going to be willing to back that star football player and essentially co-sign on all of his loans because he's going to win us football games and that makes us look good. So then we're just going to basically eat the cost of his college because he's not going to probably get a high performing job in his field because he's not the top of his class. I'm just throwing it out there. These are all discussions that need to take place. I and agree. You hit the nail on the head when you said it's time to trim the fat. Just as with the small mom and pop shop that is looking at their payroll and going, we really need to cut an employee. Yeah. That is, that's something that causes people to stay up at night. And it's time for the presence of these universities to lose a little sleep over, 
holy cow, we need to actually be doing the right thing by the American people and by anyone who entrusts us to give them a degree to help better their lives and the, and the society around them. I would agree with that. And I would also say it's time for society to ask the question of, is it really necessary for this to be a four-year degree? And is it something that we can figure out a better process for people to get more affordable degrees in things like welding and HVAC? And I mean, and, and, and the idea that we have this whole thing around, well, he's just a plumber. Excuse me. I don't know how to fix that. Mike Rowe's doing a wonderful job with that as far as building trade schools. And again, we've talked about in past couple of episodes dealing with unions. Mm -hmm. And in the trades unions, I actually agree that there is a massive reason for them being, uh, being a part of society. There are some unions that I disagree with strongly and will until my dying breath. But you look at an awful lot of, of the trade schools, whether it's the electrician's trade or electrician's plumbing, you know, anything to do with your hands, construction, being able to have the next generation come up and say, you know what, I'm going to get into construction or I'm going to go into uh, <laughs> be able to be an electrician or, or go work with my hands in one aspect or another we need to give them the same pride that somebody who completed a four-year degree in underwater basket weaving gets. I mean, seriously, because here's there the, the if you break it down to all of that, if you look at that very closely, a physician maybe they know how to fix a car, but they probably don't know how to weld something in their house. Okay, I mean, <laughs> look, my my vehicle broke down last week, and it's a, a fairly simple fix. Um, but honestly, I figured out what was wrong with it. I found the part. We decided to go a different route on it. I think we're going to do some warranty stuff. But um, I was looking up YouTube videos to see how I was going to fix this. This is a radiator clutch fan on my Jeep. It's overheating, right? And I immediately found that that was the problem. And I started looking at ways that I was going to fix it. Because I'm going to do that myself, right? I want to do it myself if I can. And, I mean, I cannot tell you how many alternators I've changed. <laughs> but... <laughs> I learned from somebody that taught me how to look at it in an analytical way and a way to find information. And sometimes trade schools teach you how to do that. And then you come out and you're immediately able to go to work. If you go to school to be a doctor, you spend eight years in college and then you spend four years of residency and you're broker than broke for that four years. Cause you are basically, it's like indentured servitude, right? And, and, they're not ready to go out and hang their sign and have their own practice. They have a lot of work that they have to do. And of course we want our doctors to have that higher level of training, but let's be real here. Doctors are paying a small fortune for their education, like $275,000, like on the low end. Okay. They're on the low end, Alex. So mm-hmm. they come out of school and they've got to pay ridiculous student loans. Ridiculous. Cause boom, you're, you've got it coming. Okay. And they're broke and they're just trying to get out there. And we want those people to have a good higher level of education because of course they save our lives. But when you start that trickle down and your nurses and your MAs and your LPNs, which are nurses, but you know, anybody in that hospital, they're paying a pretty high amount for their education too. Correct. And now that takes me again, going back to what happens with our higher education Mm -hmm. as far as if all of a sudden these higher education institutions have to start co-signing on these loans what happens to the overall trickle-down effect and you bring up a very valid point of why in the hell does our medical 
uh, why didn't the hell does our health care cost so much? Well, now when you look at the overall cost of education and how that is baked in to everything within the, the medical field, within what they have to charge to pay for, whether it's an LPN, whether it's a CNA, whether it's an RN, yeah. whether it's a doctor, you look at everything and how interconnected all of this is. And so that that gets me to my final point <laughs> of when people say, I paid my student loans or I paid for my own college. Awesome. Why should I care about this? This is the reason why is because student loan debt, this $1.7 trillion, this shackle that's tied to the American public. Yes, it may only be about 125 to 13% of the nation that is dealing with the student loan problem on a personal level. But you have to look at it from the fact that all of this debt and this the overall cost of higher education, the trickle down that that has into every aspect of your life. And the reason why, if, if a company puts it out there and says, you have to have a master's degree in order to be able to fill this position, well, then at that point in time, anyone with a master's degree is going to demand a certain level of salary. Sure. And that trickles down to the basic product. And so this is something that truly affects each and every American, whether you want it to or not. Right. I mean, and, and then you, you know, it just goes back to the idea of like, is $15 an hour a livable wage? Okay. No, we know that. All right. But if you demand that somebody is going to come out with that master's degree and they have to have all this experience before they can truly start making money. You're just shooting them in the foot. It's not. And how are you supposed to start a career and be successful when, like you said, in the pit of your stomach, you know, that debt is sitting behind you and it's going to keep accruing exponentially. And either you, I don't know, work two jobs to make that payment so that you don't continue to accrue at that higher level, or you accept that you're always going to be in debt and you will never be able to get yourself out of that or improving your, you know, your station in life is going to be that much more difficult. Yeah. So if you have any thoughts on this topic, I highly encourage you to please reach out to us. You can reach us at the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. Again, the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, uh, one of the things that we are starting to do is push it out a little bit more. So I would encourage you to leave us a review and rate us on any platform that you listen to us on. We're on 13 platforms right now, and we're still trying to keep on growing to be able to get our voices out there within Northern Colorado and within the community as a whole. Real quick, I do want to give a quick shout out to Harmony, our friend Mel's sister, who listens all the way on the East Coast. <laughs> She's been telling people, you have to listen to them. <laughs> so yes. thanks, Harmony. We appreciate it. All right. Well, let's talk about some fun stuff going on in Northern Colorado this weekend. Yes. Yes. So if you aren't doing anything on Saturday, there are two big events that are going on. So I'll let you take the first one. All right. The very first one is the um, Johnst Johnstown Barbecue Day. Um, it is on Saturday. It kicks off at 10 in the morning with the parade. And then they have from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. They have 15 different food vendors out there. And they've got all kinds of really fun stuff going on. They have um, the football punt pass kick disc golf tournament, um, which actually I think my husband's going to want to go to that one. Um, the Johnson's, the barbecue parade that starts at 10 AM and then they have, um, entertainment booths, um, and food, like I said, from 10 AM to 7 PM. And then at 9 PM, they'll have fireworks. 
That'd be so fun, right? That is awesome. And then on this side of I-25, we have birthday days. So birthday days is a little bit different this year because it's a, they've actually moved locations. So it's actually going to be located at the rec center, the new rec center, um, Right off of Berthoud Parkway, and they get their festivities started off at 7 a.m. They've got a good old pancake breakfast starting off with the uh, the Boy Scouts and that sort of stuff. Heck yeah. Who doesn't uh, love a pancake breakfast? Come on. Absolutely. So, and then their parade takes place on Mountain Avenue. So, that's just Main Street downtown. It's going to kick off at 11 a.m. And then they've got main, I mean, they've got festivities going on from noon um so starting out at 1220 is going to be the national anthem and the overall intro. Then you've got Don Elwood Big Band. You've got an old-time baseball game starting at 1. You've got um, what I'm looking forward to. I'm not sure if I'm going to be participating or not, but at 430, you've got a good old classic pie-eating contest. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> what kind of pie do they have? I think all sorts. Yes. I think all sorts. Um, but then they're running all the way through 9 p.m. So if you aren't doing anything and you aren't wanting to go over to Johnstown's barbecue day, then hit up Berthoud. You know, if you haven't been in Berthoud in a while, I highly encourage it. You know, show up. It's good to be out and about. And things are, you know, this is some of the stuff with going to my niece's graduation. I've had a couple of friends um, with their kids graduating this past weekend. It's good to be back and doing kind of the normal things after the last two years. I concur so wholeheartedly and, and a very big congratulations to all of the Northern Colorado, Colorado graduates. I went to Loveland High's ceremony and was just pretty much in tears the whole time, um, which is so silly. I didn't even have a child graduating. Um, I do want to mention <laughs> I mean, you kind of did. I, well, yeah. My son's <laughs> girlfriend who we just adore. Um, I do want to mention that I am going to be attending a home um, meet and greet with Jeff Fisher Next week, um, a friend of mine's having Jeff at their house to do kind of a community event. And if you are still on the, on the fence about Jeff Fisher and John Fan, who you're going to vote for for the Larimer County Sheriff, um, feel free to shoot us some questions. I'd be more than happy to field some questions to Jeff because, um, he's a great guy. Actually, both of them are really great guys. Yeah, um, they are. And I guarantee you, if you shoot me those questions, I'll make sure you get the answers to them. And if you'd like to attend that event, shoot us an email and I'll see if, uh, how many people are going to be able to be there. But, um, I know that it's a, it's a pretty big, uh, it should be really fun. <laughs> That's great. So. All right. And so now it's time for good old beer of the week, but this week's a little bit different. So we were talking about the economy. We're talking about everything that has kind of transpired over the last two years. And unfortunately there has been another victim. Mm-hmm. And so this is not beer of the week. It's going to be bourbon of the week, but Hale and Bradford's. Mm-hmm. And so Hale and Bradford's had a satellite location here in Berthoud for, for a little while. Um, unfortunately during the pandemic, they closed this location in Berthoud. And so they had just the location. I believe it was somewhere down in Denver. And, um, I didn't never made it to that one, but I really enjoyed when they were open here in Berthoud. They have shuttered. Yep, they, they have, are done. they are done. So the interesting thing is, um, hometown liquor. So that's right off of basically the corner of 287 and 56 bought their final batch. They bought kind of the last remaining supply and now they're offering it at a pretty decent discount. So Halen Bradford's the one that we've been drinking tonight is uh, their four year aged backcountry straight single barrel bourbon whiskey. 
That's awesome. <clears throat> I've enjoyed this one. Now I've had, they have their green whiskey. They've got their two year and then they've got their four year and four year for any of you whiskey fans out there. You don't expect a smooth whiskey at four years. Correct. I mean, it takes a little while to cure, if you will. Correct. And I can tell you that this one shocked me a little bit is because it does have a lot of complexity to it with just even being four years old. It has a, a incredible maple notes, mm-hmm. almost on a little bit of nutmeg on, on the note of it. Yeah. And it is a smooth shockingly smooth whiskey for only being a four-year whiskey. Uh, I, I concur with everything you just said, and I would like to say it's almost kind of a creamy, you know, not not in that heavy way, but it's, it's yeah. smooth and it just, it's, it's delightful. It's delightful. So there is kind of the last hurrah of Halen Bradford's is Hometown Liquor in Berthoud. Make a little drive if you're in Fort Collins, wherever you may be. Drive down, pick up one kind of the final bottles of it because, unfortunately, again, they are a victim of the last couple of years. Um, but I encourage you to kind of get this taste before before it's gone. Well, and and th- their price point right now, so um, they've discounted it down. The the there's a small bottle; it's about half the size. I'm not sure what it would yeah, be. Yeah, it's a three uh, three seventy five. A three seventy five. They have whiskey, rum, and gin at four ninety nine a bottle. Yeah. And I think the highest this one was there four years. So of course, that's their higher price point, you know, somewhere around $55, $60. And I think we picked it up for 25 Yeah. So, and- so deeply discounted. But if you want to try something that was a local favorite and that's yeah. uh, going to be soon to be no more. Yeah. Also, it really mixes well with Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I shamed Alex. I, he's Sacrilege. not a mixer, but I did taste it before. Um, I, I like mine on the rocks, nice and nice and cold. Um, and then I did put my Coke in there because it's, it's, it's fantastic though. It really is. And it doesn't, it's, it doesn't burn. It's real smooth. It tastes fantastic. That so. works. So again, you can find kind of the last stock at hometown liquor in Bertha. So, well, I think we'll end it there. So, as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.